open the Scriptures this morning to the book of Psalms, Psalm 33. We're going to deal with the doctrine of the Trinity this morning, as we have that confessed in Lord's Day 8 of the Heidelberg Catechism. This afternoon we hope to deal with James, but this morning with Lord's Day 8 and the working of our triune God. We see some of that working in Psalm 33, very likely a psalm of David, the psalm before and the psalm after are psalms of David, and quite likely this is two. So we'll be treating it as such this morning. The Word of God in Psalm 33, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to Him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all His work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom He has chosen as His heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where He sits enthroned, He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His steadfast love, that He may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. So far the reading of God's Word. Let's sing together in preparation for the preaching hymn 47, hymn 47, the stanzas 1, 2, and 3. I invite you to turn with me in the Book of Praise to page 524, page 524, where we have the church's confession about the contents of our faith and how that relates to the triune God. So you'll recall that in Lord's Day 7, we asked what must a Christian believe and then the answer was all that is promised us in the gospel, which the articles of our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith 
teach us in a summary. And those articles are the 12 articles of the Apostles' Creed. So, Lord's Day 8 picks up on that and asks, how are the articles divided <clears throat> into three parts? The first is about God the Father and our creation. The second about God the Son and our redemption. The third about God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. Since there is only one God, why do you speak of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Because God has so revealed Himself in His Word that these three distinct persons are the one true eternal God. In response to the preaching, we'll sing hymn 35, all four stanzas, and that hymn speaks about the great and gracious work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy and loved people of God gathered here this morning, do you feel safe? That's an issue on the forefront of many minds these days. Signs in the community are everywhere telling us to stay safe and to do everything we can to help keep others safe. Before the year 2020, we generally felt safe and secure, but now it's an open question. As the current uh, coronavirus and its variants continues to make their way through our population, do you feel safe? Well, maybe you're not too concerned for your immediate physical safety, but perhaps you worry about your spiritual safety, or that of your family, your children, the church, and you wonder, will we ever get back to normal? And by normal, you're thinking the way things were before 2020, when we were free to move about, free to visit, free to go to church, catechism, school, free to work and conduct business, free to, to travel, free to gather for whatever kind of religious activity or otherwise that we wanted, will that ever come back? Do you feel safe and secure about the future? We've all been experiencing the effects of the virus and the, the government responses to it for almost a year, and there's still no clear end in sight. Last March, we when it started, we kept hearing that a lockdown was necessary for just two weeks, and then just two more weeks, and two more weeks. But by January of this year, we have had many, many weeks of lockdown, and all of the rest of last year was under significant restrictions, and there, there may very well be more lockdowns to come. It's wearying to think about, isn't it? It's it's hard to endure all the uncertainty. It creates feelings of anxiety and, and, and fear and unrest, and, and on the other side, sometimes frustration and anger. Some of us ask, is all of this really necessary? 
For some, not enough is being done. And for others, way too much is being done. There's even the threat of government overreach. Friendships have been strained because of divided opinions. And when we sit back and think about it all, it can leave us discouraged, depressed, nervous, insecure. Well, then it is good for us to focus our thoughts in worship this morning on the only and the absolute certain security that we have in this world, our God. The one thing that has not changed in all of this and the one thing that will never change no matter what comes is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And by faith, we belong to this God, both in life and in death. That is our comfort. That is our safety. That is our joy. And that is the subject of Lord's Day 8. So I proclaim to you this word of the Lord. My life is in the hands of the triune God. My life is in the hands of the triune God. I confess that He created my life, He redeemed my life, and He sanctifies my life. Now, Lord's Day 8 is not a very big Lord's Day, but it helps us to survey the big picture, if you will. In Lord's Day 7, we confess that we need true faith in order to take part in salvation. At the end of Lord's Day 7, we confessed the contents of what we believe as taught all throughout the Bible and then summarized so nicely for us in the 12 articles of the Apostles' Creed. And then if you look ahead to Lord's Day 9, we will begin to dive into each of those 12 articles in depth from Lord's Days 9 through 22. But before we do so, Lord's Day 8 pauses for a moment and asks us to stand back and asks us to look at the forest instead of the trees. It asks, how are these 12 articles divided? We could rephrase the question like this, how do the contents of what we believe, how do they hang together? There are 12 articles mentioned there in Lord's Day 7, but is there a unifying factor? Is there something which ties all 12 together? And the answer is yes, the unifying factor is God. If you were to glance in your book of praise to question and answer 23 for a moment, you would see the 12 articles of the creed listed there. And if you look at the left margin, you would see three Roman numerals, one, two, and three. That's what Lord's Day 8 is referring to, the three-part division of the Apostles' Creed. And then beside each of those Roman numerals, you'll see these words, I believe in. That word in is critical. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. We certainly believe a great deal more 
truths and facts about what is promised in the Scriptures, but we only ever believe in God. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, there's a a big difference between believing a series of truths and believing in somebody. There's a difference between being convinced of all the Bible's teachings and being convinced that the God of the Bible is for you, on your side. That's what true faith comes down to, trusting in God, trusting that God, the God of the Bible, is your God, that your life is safe in His hands. That's faith. This is the heart and soul of what it means to be a Christian, that in this crazy world, this messed up world, messed up by our sin, in a world where there is so much that is wrong and goes wrong, where there's so much hurt and confusion, so much misery, that in all of that we know Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as Almighty God who has reached out to us and rescued us from that misery. We confess this every worship service. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. Our help, that's another way of saying our salvation. Before we get to all the specifics about what the Lord does for us in the coming Lord's Days, let's refresh ourselves here this morning with Lord's Day 8 and Psalm 33 that the living God against whom no human or demonic power can prevail, that He is the God who loves us, He is the God who cares for us, and He is the God who's got a glorious eternal future waiting for us. The Apostles' Creed mentions God the Father as Creator. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Lord's Day 8 makes the connection to us, brings it home, makes it personal. We confess this is all about God the Father and our creation. Not just the creation out there, that too, but our creation. Your life, your personal life, is secure in the hands of your God first and foremost because He created your life. You couldn't be in better hands. Your God created you personally, and so He knows you intimately and thoroughly and completely. In fact, God knows us better than we know ourselves. David, in another Psalm 139, he's amazed and comforted by that, that very fact. Even before a word is on my tongue, he writes, Psalm 139, Behold, O Lord, you know my words before I speak them. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it, writes David. If the God you trust and knows you that well. And if He has His hand upon you, well, you can leave all your worries. You can leave all your concerns at His feet. 
Let's build on that by thinking for a moment about His majestic power as Creator, which David does in Psalm 33. If you have that open, it might be handy. Psalm 33, verse 6, David writes there, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their host. Then verse 9, For He spoke, and it, that's the world, it came to be, He commanded, and it stood firm. Now just think about that for a, a moment. All God had to do was speak a command, and the vast heavens and the earth appeared. Like, like all the galaxies that we haven't even discovered yet popped into existence, including our own galaxy. All God had to do was say, let there be light, and it sprang into existence. Later, flocks and flocks of birds showed up in a moment of time out of nowhere, created out of nothing, simply because God said, let there be birds to fill the air. Can we even comprehend that kind of power? Look at how God handles the vast oceans, verse 7 of Psalm 33, how He handles all the waters of the world. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps into storehouses. God just gathers the waters together like your, your little ones go down to the beach and, and fill a pail up with water and start building sandcastles. That's the kind of language David uses here. He just gathers this, the waters of the earth together. We're talking about lakes like the Great Lakes. We're talking about oceans and seas. You know, we can have fun splashing around in Lake Ontario or Lake Erie or somewhere up north, but our, our Creator thinks nothing of picking up the whole of Lake Ontario and Lake Erie and moving its waters wherever He likes. He could do that. That's what He did in the beginning to set up the lakes and the oceans. And I wonder if you've ever stood on the shore of or flown over or been on a boat on any of the oceans, the Atlantic or the Pacific perhaps. The depths of these bodies of water are unfathomable. Their expanse is phenomenal. You can get on a 747 and fly for 10 hours over the Pacific and still not get to the other side. But the Holy Spirit in Psalm 33 says, your God is in control of every drop of that water. Every breaking wave, He's got it. And everything that lives below the water is in His hands, under His control. So when you say, when we say, beloved, as we will confess this afternoon in the creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, then you are saying, my life is in the hands of this awesome, awesome, awesome God whom no one can fully understand or even come close, and whom no human can touch and no devil can overcome. And because I'm in His hands, I know that I'm going to be okay. I know everything's going to be okay. One day, 
David works this out a little further in Psalm 33. For not only has our God created all things, but He actively maintains all things. He cares for all things. And He's got a plan in all of this. Verse 11, the counsel of the Lord. That word counsel just means plan. So the, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. I can't make a plan without it having to change three times before the end of the day. God makes a single plan, and it's going to last through all eternity. And our God is busy guiding all the events and powers of this world, the, the, the human, the animal, the biological powers, the demonic, the angelic, all are under His guiding control. And all of them, whether obedient or disobedient, they are acting in accordance with His master plan. That's what this is saying. That means, beloved, that no virus, no disease, no sickness can touch you or me. Remember what Jesus said, not a hair can fall from our heads unless the Father wills it. And if He does will it, it will only be for your good and His glory. And when we see governments making questionable decisions, or when we see human authorities in the fields of medicine or science or technology, we see them just ignore God and make theories without accounting for God or make plans to deal with something like this virus as if the Lord does not exist, we do not have to be afraid or upset or worried about the final result because the Creator remains on His throne in heaven. Verse 10, for the Lord brings the counsel, the plans of the nations to nothing, He frustrates the plans of the peoples. Whatever conspiracies there may be out there, and we know the devil has a load of conspiracies, okay? He's always conspiring to overturn the kingdom of heaven. Whatever conspiracies are out there, the Bible says not a single one will ever gain traction and win over against the Creator of heaven and earth. For He, our God, He alone is almighty. And He is your God. He's your Father who loves you for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. For the good news of trusting in God, it only gets better and better not only has God created my life, not only does he, he care for me in the details of my life, but He has gone out of His way to redeem my life. As Lord's Day 8 puts it, we believe in God the Son and our redemption. You will know, I think, very well that we were created to be without sin, do live in fellowship with God. But we rebelled against Him in the Garden of Eden. We, we looked at all of that quite extensively in the last few Lord's Days. But now, 
Think of the results of our sin and what God did about it. And compare what God did about sin to our current troubles and what God is able to do for our current troubles. In the Garden of Eden, we rejected God. We rejected His rule over our lives. We pledged to join Satan's side and serve ourselves. What did that result in? It resulted in condemnation for us, eternal death, a living hell for all of humanity. That was the result of our rebellion. You talk about trouble, there it was, endless trouble in the Garden of Eden. The situation for us today, the COVID situation, can feel endless. But our predicament after the fall into sin, it was truly endless. It would have meant, it, it did mean an eternity of God's anger pouring out over us, leaving us, us gnashing our teeth in untold bitterness and pain. That was the situation after Genesis 3, verse 7. But God didn't leave us in that condition. Thanks be to Him. True faith rests a trust that God has reached out to us in His only begotten Son to redeem us from our guilt and our sin, to save us from all the suffering and sorrow that we had brought upon our heads. And we know what it took, right? The Son of God had to come to the earth to be born a human in the, the womb and in the family of, of Mary and Joseph. He had to lower Himself to our level. The Son of God had to take on a weakened human nature. He had to suffer all His life in our place. Jesus Christ willingly took upon Himself the wrath of God against our sin. He took upon Himself the curse of His Father. He allowed Himself to be nailed to a cross and laid in the dust of earth, dead all as if he was a despised criminal. Brothers and sisters, your, your God loved you so much, He's, He still loves you so much, that He was willing to do all of that. He was willing to sacrifice Himself in utter humiliation and agony just to rescue you and me, just to have you back as His daughter, to have you back as His son. Do you think then for one moment that anything we're going through right now can keep God from helping us? Is COVID-19 worse than our rebellion in Eden? Is the fact that governments are forbidding churches to gather while they allow big stores and in some provinces even bars and restaurants to open and have people in, is that a bigger problem for our Savior than Satan or guilt? Can the one who took our curse to the cross, who rose from the dead, can he not handle a coronavirus and its variants? Can he not handle human governments? Can he not protect us physically and spiritually? And can he not give our children and grandchildren opportunity to serve him? 
Can this Son of God not create space for us to live and thrive in His service, even in a world that is openly hostile to Him? In two weeks' time, we hope to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And at the end of that celebration, we'll hear these words from Romans 8. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. Here it comes. How... How will he not also, with him, with Christ, graciously give us all things? Paul says, how will he not give us all things after he gave us his son? Of course he's going to give what we need. This is God we're talking about. God is like, like Niagara Falls. He just keeps pouring out the help we need, and there's no end to it. Niagara Falls doesn't run dry. And even if it ever did, God doesn't run dry. All of this is not to say that we should just ignore our responsibilities, that we should let go and let God, as some say. No, Scripture, God commands in Scripture for us to live responsibly. He commands in Deuteronomy that we are to build fences on our flat roofs so that we and our guests don't fall off. He commands in Exodus 22 that we are to keep our dangerous animals penned up so that they don't hurt our neighbor. So we build our fences and our pens, and we act wisely when it comes to medical advice, and we put things in place to protect the health and the well-being of our children our aging parents, and the vulnerable. But the point is, we don't place our trust in any of those things. We place our trust in one place, in God, who is pleased to use these things in His plan for us all according to His wisdom. We don't trust in the fences but we trust in the God who commands us to build the fences. And that's how we lay down to sleep at night in peace, knowing that nothing occurs by chance but by our God's design. That's how we face risks and dangers with a calm heart and assurance that all will be well in the end. Everything's going to be well in the end because I am safe in my Redeemer's hands. I and my children and my grandchildren and the lives of my parents, this Redeemer of mine is determined to save me and all of His children so it will absolutely be okay in the long run. You know, David is very, very sure about that too in Psalm 33. David, as king even before he was king, but as king, he fought a lot of wars, battles. Well, if you were a king, the uh, fence for you was to raise up an army, right? That was the responsible thing to do, to have a standing army so that you could defend yourself and possibly counterattack. So a king was always surrounded by soldiers and horses and armies, but look at what David says in this Psalm 33. 
Verse 16, and he knew this better than anybody. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. I mean, David fought like nobody, and he was a warrior, but he didn't put his trust in those things. Verse 17, the war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. David says in Psalm 20, he puts this same idea in a positive way, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse, the horses and the chariots, they collapse and fall, but we rise up and stand upright. David has every confidence in the Lord's saving ability. Psalm 33, verse 19, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His steadfast love, that He may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Brothers and sisters, the eye of the Lord, the living God, is upon you personally and individually to care for you, to deliver you from all trouble. And even if the Lord allows death to befall us, and we know that it will come to each one of us unless the Lord Jesus returns, but even in death, our soul is delivered from condemnation because of Christ Jesus, and we are taken up to our God to dwell in His house forever and ever. So even in the worst-case scenario, we are redeemed. I know there's a lot to think about and be concerned about right now. These last 12 months have been difficult in many ways. We have seen something befall our world, our society, that none of us has ever experienced before. Even our parents hadn't experienced something like this, and no one could have predicted it. And with all the news channels going 24-7, giving us information from right across our country, or across the United States, around the world even, and presenting the news to us always with zero reference to the controlling hand of the Creator or the loving care of the Redeemer, they never mention God or Jesus on the news in that context, certainly not. They're always presenting these things with a level of fear and anxiety, casting it as if it's a great threat, and that's all they can see. When we absorb all of that week after week, month after month, that can easily leave us grasping at straws and wondering what's going to happen next. It's easy to become drained of all hope. But this morning, brothers and sisters, and every day going forward, let's look intentionally to Jesus Christ and have our hope renewed. Look to God the Father who created you, who, who keeps you day by day and has done so all of your life. Just look back over your own life and the life of God's people in the past. 
Look to God the Son who died for you, who reigns supreme as King in heaven, unfolding God's perfect plan for you and me and all God's children until the day we will be with him in paradise forever. COVID can't interfere with that, nor can the economy or the courts or governments or even death itself. Your life and mine, they lie safely in the hands of God the Father, God the Son, and equally God the Holy Spirit, who's working in us to sanctify us. That's what we confess in Lord's Day 8. I believe in the Holy Spirit who lives right now at this very moment in our hearts, in our bodies. Just think about that for a half a minute. Who or what can touch God's temple? Because we're God's temple. We're His dwelling place. Who can touch God's temple without God say so? What virus could invade God's temple without God say so? Now, the Holy Spirit is there, we confess, to sanctify us. That means to make us holy, to make us, in a word, more like Christ. And part of the way He makes us more like Jesus is to put us through difficulties, trials, stresses, just like Jesus Himself went through all of His life. We might wonder about that sometimes. Maybe you have. You question, well, why couldn't life be easier? Why couldn't life as a Christian be trouble-free? I mean, Jesus has paid for our sin. Well, there's, there's a, a big picture there, but, but part of the picture, part of the answer is that hardships are used by God God the Spirit, to chip away our sinful inclinations, to, to grind down our self-reliance and to build up our God-reliance and to develop godly inclinations. Sometimes you need a grindstone to take off rough edges. That's what trials are like in God's hands. We've been learning that from James who says that we should count it all joy when we meet various trials. But we could also think of Paul's thorn in the flesh. He writes to the Corinthians that God has given him this thorn, something, some kind of physical thing that was giving him pain, and God gave him this thorn, he says, to keep him from becoming conceited. It was to, to grind off that tendency in Paul to become arrogant. Three times Paul prayed that the thorn would be removed, but God's answer was, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Right now, our collective thorn is COVID-19 and everything related to it. We have prayed as church for God to remove it, to take it away, and for nearly 12 months, God has said, my grace is sufficient for you. The thorn stays for the moment. My power is put on display here in Ancaster Congregation and in every member's home 
when, says the Lord, when you acknowledge me, when you acknowledge your weakness and your utter dependence on me, then my name is glorified in your midst. So let's do that, beloved. Not in an act of blind desperation, but in an act of confident trust, faith, just as David does at the end of Psalm 33. We'll sing it in a little bit. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield, for our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. David has glad, a glad heart and confidence galore by the time he comes to the end of Psalm 33. Why? Because he knows in whom he trusts, God. We know Him even with greater clarity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with this God on our side, who can be against us? Will a virus overcome us or do us in? Shall an uncertain future unseat us? Shall persecution or tribulation or fines or jail time separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? If Satan fell to defeat on Golgotha, what enemy is left, beloved? What enemy is left to really do us any harm? You are safe in the hands of your God who created you, who redeemed you, and who is now preparing you for an eternity with Him. So find your rest in Him. Amen. Let us sing hymn 